these big streaming shows, these big broadcast shows. Writer's room, if you look at some of the writer's room, we're not represented. And then it's just one person. It's like, oh, this is the, this, I got my token. Yeah, it's always one, like, yes. Yeah. And, 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 we, and, we might, and we might graduate from this movement to two black people. It's like, all right, now we've moved to the point where we can have two in a room. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Uh, with us is Theo Dumont, who is a, who's a man about many talents, uh, many talents in Hollywood. He's uh, invested in a whole lot of uh, 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 film festivals, the, the Oscar qualifying Holly Shorts uh, Film Festival, the Hollywood Comedy Festival. And he's the co-founder of the Mammoth Film Festival. Uh, he's also the uh, CEO of Alta Global Media. I say that right? Partner, managing partner. I have another Managing partner. partner. Managing partner. And he just spearheads media relations for a lot of big clients. Some you, I'm sure most of them you know. Spike Lee, he helped do the Black Klansman, the release for that. He helped do the, the Five Bloods that I just watched. It was a great movie as well. Uh, so he's been in Hollywood for a long time. He's made a way for himself and honored to really have him on the show. Theo, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much um, for having me. And it's a, an honor to be to be with you. I appreciate it, Rob. Yeah, no problem, man. You have a very interesting background. I mean, how does a brother, where are you from? Uh, born in Haiti, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Wow. IT, yeah. um, moved to the U.S. when I was six years old. Moved to New York, Queens, Queens Boulevard. And then grew up in Florida. Grew up in Florida. Okay. Orlando and then Miami. Miami, Florida. So 305. Went to school in Miami. Florida International University, FIU. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, I um, we had... How in the world did you end up in Hollywood from that path? I mean, from New York to Miami to... You you, you literally, literally went East Coast, South, all the way across the country west. So how did you do that zigzag puzzle? Like, how, did, how does one get to there? No, it's crazy, Rob. You know, um, my father was um, um, involved in politics and banking. So we fled Haiti. Oh, wow. Tell me about that. He was involved in politics. And so he had to flee Haiti. He was involved. Yeah. In politics. I need to. Uh, that sounds like an interesting story. Tell me about that. I just I want to know. I didn't expect it. Yeah. No, he ran a bank, which was like the set. It was the, one of the. Um, uh, not a, not a bank, but like an um, exchange, uh, currency exchange uh, business. Okay. Very politicized bank, right? And so so he ran a currency exchange, and then my mother had a, a business. She had a, uh, um, a really nice, um, just a store. And right. we're public figures. And, um, you know, they got caught up in um, – you know, politics, you know, it was the regime, the Duvaliers. So, um, you know, there was a, a big uh, revolt at the time. Yeah. So we had to get out of there. Um, wow. Moved to the United States. That was it. And I was a kid. I was six years old, so I didn't know what was going on. Have you been back to Haiti since? Yeah, yeah. I've been a few times. And then I got, I have friends that are in Hollywood that are actually um, musicians and artists and actors and They've been they, they 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 do a lot for the country, and so I'm actually trying to plan a trip to go back with with friends now. But at the time, my mom passed. But um, when she was living, she didn't want me to go back because you know it's, there's a thing, right? Diaspora, like when you leave, you know your parents, they're it's their country, and um, they would prefer 
you know, I don't know. They, they, they she felt like she had some, she, she didn't think I could do my thing on my own there. You know? She worried about, uh, uh, look, Haiti's a rough, Haiti's a rough place. And it's a lot of things that's happened to it. As you, as I'm sure, you know, um, I respect the fact that they were, one of the few, if not the only ones that fought back and, and fought for freedom, but there was a price with that freedom and, and, uh, colonialism made it very hard for them. Um, what do you see as the, what do you see as the challenge? I mean, have you, you've been back, right? And how are you how are you received when you go back to Haiti? I'm just so oh, curious about. I was still young when I went back a few times, but at the time it was you know, it's like outsider, like I'm a, like I'm a tourist. You yeah, know? you're you're American. They don't consider you Haitian anymore. You're like you're not one of us. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But it is a is is a it is a great place. It is um, there's a lot of really good people. And there's a community, you know, the whole Caribbean yeah. is, is a community. It's, there's a, there's a, um, a togetherness, um, you know, who knows, you know, maybe now when I go back, it'll be a different, it'll be a different vibe. But at the time I was a kid, so I didn't really right. understand. When I, I still kind of find myself. What do you think you understand now, looking back, looking at your father's experience and your mother's experience that had to have some influence on your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, what lessons did you take from them watching their oh, journey. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt it did. No doubt it did. It was, um, you know, they split up when they got to the United States. So then my dad moved to LA and then we moved to Florida. And so that's, that played a part of it where I would visit LA a few times and I'm like, Oh, this is crazy. Right. Um, and then in Miami, listen, right away when I was a kid, we started, me and my friends, we started promoting, um, nightclubs at a very early age, maybe 15, 16 years old. Before. Wow. You were promoting nightclubs at 15. You couldn't even get into. Yeah. Yeah. Big one. <laughs> you were a hustler. No doubt from the beginning. And it was like Miami was coming off the kind of, you know, I like to say it was the cocaine cowboys eighties and into the nineties era. Yeah. Where these massive nightclubs like Prince had a club called Glam Slam. There was a club called Liquid and that was um, Ingrid Casares and Madonna. They had a nightclub on South Beach. So it was the South Beach era. And I was right in the middle of that as a kid, right. to be honest with you. And we would throw our own events, our own parties. You create the flyers, you do the event. And so I felt that was from the DNA of the parents' entrepreneurship. I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. It was just something fun to do. So we right. do big events and big parties. And then what's crazy. So how do you get into that at 15? Though? We're in the, like, how does somebody, oh, let's go promote no. parties. Like, how the hell does that happen? I mean, I know it's Miami, by the way. I've been to Miami. Yeah. Miami's the hell of a town. So. <laughs> it's a thing, man. It's just kind of like, I mean, I would think, you know, some people in their neighborhoods, they get into, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a group thing. You know, that's right. what we do. You know, we, were at, we played sports, played basketball, we're athletes, and then, you just fall into it. Where we, what are we doing this weekend? Let's throw a party. Let's organize it. And then you start promoting it. And then it became, there's a culture. There was a, there was a car club culture. Yeah. There, was, um, there was this strange Miami. And then Orlando's very different than Miami, you know? But I, No, I, Orlando's I, very different, yeah. You know? And then there was a Caribbean culture. There's the there's Jamaicans, there's Cubans. There's, and so it was an interesting vibe and I just kind of fell into it. And then at the so time, there was a Haitian culture there that you were able to link on to, to help oh, no question. No question. So that did help. But I want to talk about that cultural link, that cultural kind of root in the community yeah. there that you think that was a big part of your success. No doubt. It is a little Haiti. There's, um, there's a Haitian community in South Miami as well in Kendall. And then even in school, there was kids like myself that I could relate to in Orlando that didn't exist. So I'm going to ask the question, continue that thought, but yeah. this will be a challenging question. 
What do you think uh, Haitians may understand a little differently than African-Americans? You know, you're, you're African-Americans, you've been here, but there is a difference, I think, in the cultural legacy and approach. What do you think that difference is that uh, may have been informative for helping you organize and be, and be an entrepreneur in America in terms of how you go about it? Does my question make sense? It does a little, it does, it does, I'll tell you, yeah, I'll tell you like it is, Rob. I don't know, maybe there's the, um, there's the revolution thing, believe it or not, you know, right. it was in the DNA, you always remember, you know, you're like, wow, we were slaves, and then, you know, Bukman, and, you know, they just did, they did it, and so, I don't know, maybe that's a part of it, um, that's definitely in the back of the minds of Haitians, maybe, I don't know, I don't know, yeah. they're um, good people, I mean, they're good people, both, both good people, and then it took, I did have to understand Oh, here, this is important. In Haiti, yeah, there's discrimination in Haiti, right? But in Haiti, you don't even know. I've met a director recently, a Haitian director. She made a beautiful film called Aiti Mon Amour. And she made me realize this too. I only realized I was black when I moved to the United States. Right. Haiti, we're all. Well, y'all black. So. We're all. It's here where they're like, oh, you're black. Right. So I don't, it's hard to explain that. Well, but I do think the cultural roots, you, you, look, you make some good points, but I do think the cultural roots of understanding of coming from a country where you work together and you come here and you work together for survival um, for a lot of reasons, you know, African-Americans have that some, but not the same level of cultural, I think, specificity that those in the Caribbean uh, do. And I don't think we should be, I'm not one of these people that divide between African-Americans who no. Word in the Caribbean and African and African Americans that are African descent. I, I think it's a different experience, but at the same at the same time, look if you get pulled over, he's not. Uh, if you get pulled over by an officer, he's not. He's not going to ask you. Wait, uh, did you come from uh, the Caribbean? Never mind. Keep moving. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we have a shared experience here. And the parents didn't really understand that much. I mean, I don't know. They had different experiences. And then I think the the, the that second generation now the third generation of Haitians that are. In the United States, they're completely different, right? But, you know, it took a learning. And even back then, there was a thing. It wasn't cool to be Haitian back then. Right. We were like, you know, we dress funny. You know, you've got this. What is it? What, you know, you have that accent. And then in Miami, to be honest with you, I heard someone else say this. In Miami, there was a cultural shift. They became, um, they got involved in gangs. They got involved in um, yeah. sticking up for themselves. Let me give my <laughs> philosophy on gangs and everything. I think every culture in America, one way or another, had gangs. Right. Italians had gangs. The Irish had gangs. They all had gangs because they had to figure out how to organize and help each other. Now, I don't, obviously, none, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, supporting violence, yes. but I'm a realist in understanding survival. And yes. people got together, figured out how to organize their communities, and now they're figuring out ways to create businesses just like just like the Irish did, just like the Italians did. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that makes our culture any different from any other culture in right. terms of figuring out how to survive and how to move forward as a community. You do what you have to do to survive. If you can't survive, nothing else matters to you. No doubt. No right, doubt. so. Uh, we just lost a very prominent um, um, uh, Haitian, uh, a gentleman of Haitian descent, uh, Chad Gaspar. He was yeah. a WWE wrestler and he passed away in Venice Beach. And we had just started to bond. I met him um, 
you know, during the, um, the Oscars and um, my business partner was meeting with him. We just met with him. And so yeah. that, really, that really hit close to home because he had, he saved his, his little one, his young one. And he, he sadly drowned recently and he had big plans. He had big plans on uh, the entertainment side. And that gentleman, he said a few things to me when we met specifically, he's, you know, he was six, eight, 270 pounds, a big, um, boy. big guy. And he was a very, very talented writer. Right. And so he would go in these rooms in Hollywood and people would be like, you're, you, there's no way you wrote the screenplay. And that really, that really hurt him. Right. Because there's no way a 280 pound black man can have the talent to write a screenplay. That's what they were saying. But and you know, black, black people are some of the most creative people there are. We have to be. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so he was trying to transition out of, you know, getting his head hit and being the wrestler into this thing. And so sure. it's unfortunate. And I, I hope there's a way that we can still kind of so, help his project. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. What do you, there is this way that people want to stereotype you or put you in a box and Always, be it your color, be it your background. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about your process because you are still a bit of an anomaly. I, I wish that wasn't true, but being a successful um, PR uh, social, uh, I would say PR in terms of production, managing talent. That's what you do, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, there's not there's not many uh, firms that are black owned that are doing that. Unfortunately, there should be more, uh, but there's not. So you've 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 come across some formula of success, but I'm sure the process wasn't linear. Um, you started off acting, right? I think, and uh, and, something. You, and you kind of pivoted. Well, tell me about. Let me go this way. Yeah. Think about a time when you were going through the process. It can be the, pro I think the process for your business right now that yeah. you've now grown to be successful, but I'm sure there was a time when the process didn't seem as promising as it is right now. Mm. Walk me through a time when you just were questioning the process and how you were able to move forward through that moment. That question makes sense? Yes. Yes. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Please. So um, visited LA a few times then moved out to LA, but I, I, I still got my, even in the early grind, I, um, in school, you know, I think it was the second year I already knew I wanted to, um, I wanted, I wanted to figure it out by second year of college. So I just called up a bunch of advertising firms, got some strange internship and it was not, advertising was not for me. And right. then somehow I fell into the PR thing and, um, I, I met a, an amazing professor. He was in, incredible. And he was like, I'm going to put you on to this firm. And it was the second largest female owned firm in South Florida. And then I had a couple recommendations for it. Didn't like it too boring, very corporate. And then somehow they turned me on to the Miami international boat show. And I was like, this is it. If I could do like the PR thing with this entertainment thing, maybe that's it. And then I remember my Hollywood dream. I was like, maybe we can mash those things up. Yeah. So moved, um, did a cross country trip from, Miami to Los Angeles stopped everywhere along the way with one of my childhood friends and he he was a basketball player we played ball together and then his brother was an actor and I had seen his brother's acting and I was like this is what it is and then we went out with him and it was like Hollywood it was Hollywood he was on the rise and and I was like maybe I can combine the PR thing with this and then um, maybe be a studio publicist or something. And maybe that could be the dream, you know? Um, so then wow. moved out with nothing, had the degree though, right? Had the backup plan just in case. And also dabbled into the acting thing just to see what that was like. And it drove me crazy, to be honest with you. Like for myself, it's just not for me. You know, being on the set all day, 
and then hoping you get a part or something that was like, for me personally, that could not work. I'm a person that likes to control the destiny as much as possible. But look right. at control now, we can, you know, you plan as much as you can control is, you know, what can, it wasn't for me. And so we started doing um, actor showcases at a theater that my best friend's brother owned. I know that sounds crazy, but it was like, can we create a place where people come together and, uh, and we help these actors get discovered? That was yeah. the premise. And he owned the theater. So that was a, a, a great spot to do it at. So it started working. And then at the same time, I started, I needed to put food on the table. Um, I worked odd jobs and then I got an internship. I had my degree already, but I had to take an internship job. And it was at a Hollywood firm, um, but they focused on television before the golden age of TV at the time. So they had National Geographic, SBS Broadcasting, a bunch of big firms that are called Prior and Associates at the time. And I'm in the job. It's not a lot of money, but I got my degree. So I got that. I'm helping out with the showcases on the side. And then um, next thing you know, with that job, the firm, they send me to the south of France to represent 10 clients as almost like a coordinator. I got promoted in two months there. So now I'm, in a, I'm a coordinator. I'm in the south of France. I'm from Haiti, but I've never been to France before. I, I don't think at the time. And I got, I'm representing these clients. I don't have an American passport yet because I have my green card still. And my mom hadn't processed the, she got her citizenship, but she didn't process mine. So it's slowly across <laughs> the border. I think I went to Germany and South of France and I'm repping these clients. I'm making mistakes left and right. But the experience is everything. It's a cultural, it, amazing. I've seen all these different people. I'm repping people and I'm learning, right? Yeah. So my thing became everything I would learn representing these clients over, overseas, I would try to bring it into my little business and expand that business. So that was the turning point. So we created a festival, Holly Shorts, with that theater that my, my best friend's brother owned. And it was just like a tiny hole in the wall thing, 23 people, but the idea was simple. Unite people, bring them together, hope they get discovered. And then every time I rep these clients and they put on these big conferences, I'll bring that, those, those, those skills to this, this small thing and hopefully it blows right. up. And that's what it did. Wow. Year three, year three of Holly Shorts, you know, we had celebrities, big names, the dude from Entourage, you know, um, all that. And then um, year five, the stars aligned. We did the Egyptian, the American Cinema Tech. We had everybody, Jessica Biel, Josh Brolin, David Lynch participated, all these Hollywood luminaries, and we're just kids. Yep. So I had two kind of careers happening at the same time. One, the firm, and two, the festival, which is mine. And then um, eventually... That first job I had, the guy, one of the clients sold his company called SBS for $5 billion. He ended up being hired by MGM um, private equity. for $5 billion? $5 billion in Europe. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. that's a good friend to have. Yeah, the company, yeah, that company was the second biggest media company behind RTL in Germany. And so the MGM private equity people, te Texas um, Pacific Group, Providence Equity Partners, they hired him to be the CEO. And he just happened to be an old client. So my old boss was like, you want to come do the corporate communications at MGM? And I'm like, well, I was at another firm at the time, but I'm like, that's the kind of the dream that I had was to work at a studio. So I'm not right. going to tell him, that, but yeah, I'm kind of feeling this idea. So went in, but like you said, not many of us, I could count them yeah. by hand. I can count them by hand. And at the time I thought I made it. I'm like, I got my name on the door. I'm on the executive floor. Right. I'm next to the general counsel. I'm like, you're the general counsel? He's got 30 lawyers underneath him. 
I'm like, this is it. And then it was an amazing ride, you know, MGM, Bond films, Stargate, learning all of that, channels, you know, they hired Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner. We did all those announcements. So corporate communications and marketing. And, you know, at the same time, I have my festival is popping and it's almost kind of like this little side thing. So I'm being careful. You were still doing your side festival with all that. Wow. No question. No question. And, you know, it, that became an operation. So eventually that became a full-time thing, the festival. And then that was it. I mean, it's, I guess it's a combination of those things. Yeah. Being on the, in the, at the, at the early ground, seeing the world like that, and then just, just grinding. But was there a time when you were doing, I guess what I'm trying to get to is like, where you ever had a little bit of doubt where you're like, okay, it's year, yeah. it, took, it took year three, I guess, to get to where you wanted to. Can you think of, go back in your mind and think of when it was, when it was hard? Because that sounds like an easy transition. Yeah, I know it wasn't. No doubt. I, yeah, I know it wasn't. And this is the question I want you to answer. Yeah, no doubt. What advice would you give your younger self knowing what you know now at one of those moments? And then what advice would you ignore? So that's a great question. I think I had to go through that. I had to follow my, you know what, to, to, to. How did you follow your, you know what? Tell me about that. You know, I was at the first firm and, and it was great. It was a nice experience. The drive was far. I was driving like 40 miles, 50 miles a day to work. It was Damn. tough. It wasn't that great in money. And Los Angeles, even then, it's expensive now. It was ex the cost of living is really difficult. And so I couldn't, I couldn't really find a, a, a way to do it. So I had to quit. And I had to take a small job at the time until I could find my footing. But that was painful. Imagine, you know, you have your degree, you've got your career off the ground, you've been to Europe a few times. And the thing is, I never lost that relationship with my first boss because he's the one that hired me for MGM. So, I mean, how could I do it different? Maybe. Not necessarily how would you do it different. What advice would you give yourself? Period. Yeah, man, just knowing, well, you know, there was no – there, there was no role model. There's no father figures. There's none of that. Right. So it's almost kind of like, you know, you're kind of, um, figuring it out on your own, you know, right. um, advice would have been just stay with it. It's going to, it's going to happen. Stay with it. It's going to happen. Um, there is a bright side, you know, stay with it, stay with it because it was tough. You know, it was maybe like four months of just toughness and then just being at a lower level. That was one. That's one moment. Then I had okay. another moment like that. I had another moment like that. Bro, this was, man, this took a while to, to recover. You know, at, I'm at NGM, living the life. I'm like, right. what? This is it. You know, I mean, I'm looking for maybe a profile at my university thing. I'm, I, I'm, I'm you know, feeling amazing. Um, name on the door, all that. Bond films, all that. And then guess what, man? They hit a credit crunch. Right. So the company couldn't raise any more money. Um, they tried to get like a big loan. It didn't happen. It cost that company a million dollars a day to just open the, the, the studio. Damn. And the Hollywood is like, if you miss a couple of movies, it's a wrap. Like you got to have a, you got to hit a, a threshold. And so basically they, the CEO was like, I'm out. My, my boss is like, he has another company. He's like, he, he invited me one day. He'll laugh at this. He invited me to lunch one day. He's like, listen, man, I'm out. I have my other company. You can do whatever you want to do, but I'm out. You can ask them for a job if you want, but you know, we're cool, but I got to go. So I'm Damn. like, first of all, I knew it was crazy. Cause I'm like, you never asked me to lunch. So that's I the way to tell you, like, basically you're not fired, but you no longer have any position here. You <laughs> no, HR was crazy. HR yeah. was like, you're like, you're not fired, but I'm just telling you, well, 
don't freak out. Yeah. Oh, man, I asked him for the job, too. I was kind of like, already I wanted to leave, too, because he's out. So I'm like, yeah. what am I doing here? And the new marketing guy, not cool. They weren't cool people, to be honest. You know, and they were like, you know, I had to try to prove myself real quick to be like, hey, I want this job. Here's all I can do. And the dude was basically like the new guy, the new marketing yeah. guy. You know what? I don't need you. I got someone that does what you do. So yeah. you kind of got to ride out. And I was like, oh, man, that was first class, business class. Damn. This is a wrap. So then, um, but even then, man, I was like, I had energy. I was like, let me call up all my contacts, tell them what's up, see what's going to happen. I couldn't just like have a severance and quit. I needed to have my next thing. So I did kind of set up my next thing while I'm fired. So I'm, I'm working already on my next job while I'm at my fired job because I have a week left. And I kind of felt that pride in my stomach. I'm like, this is kind of dope because yeah. I should probably take some time off to let, to let this recover, but I'm ready. I'm going to go to a firm. My, my, the second company I was at, that lady was an amazing British um, executive. She was running this company for this guy and she had just started another startup. So I had a, my, a, my man was like, you should call her because she's starting this new company. See what's up. So I called her, did the deal, right? So she's hired me already, and I'm already kind of hinting, working over there. I'm out of the studio, now I'm at her company. Fast forward like two weeks later. Imagine having an executive floor, a big tower in a beautiful neighborhood. Now I'm in this little- So this is another company you left after leaving this other company when they they pieced you out. Yeah, being laid off and fired. Now I'm in this little box and we're sharing an office. I'm splitting an office with another lady and I'm like, this is the biggest depression of my life. Yeah, just it's hard to be in the NBA and being relegated to like a Z League. You know what I'm saying? That's what it felt like. Yeah, I hear you. And this is the moment where I had to really check myself. And I guess um, it's same as the first story is just, just being, um, you know, just being, having that, poise yeah so how do you think that set you up for success going from like on top of the bottom is i know what the bottom is i know what the bottom is so even even when we're working now and i hit problems it's okay because you have to continue pushing the ball and pushing it a thousand percent because that bottom is poverty yeah that's the bottom nobody wants to go to we're not yeah no it's not not a bottom that you know no i mean anybody wants to be at Whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever it takes. <laughs> That's it. And so, you know what's crazy, man, is I felt like I had known, done a lot, been through a lot, seen a lot. I mean, it's, I think it's like 20 years almost, right? 18 right. years. So, and then, you know, everything changed when I met Stephen Adams. What's changed then? What, like, what was the... Master's class, you know, because then it's almost like a maturity of doing the publicity, doing the marketing. Obviously, I still do that, but also he has a producer-manager hat. And he has, uh, you know, having someone that has your back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I tell everybody, all the filmmakers. Was he I a mentor? Know, He's a mentor of yours? No, mentor, colleague, business partner. But nobody have my back like that. Yeah. My like, this is, you know, got your back, man. Like, so that's critical. I mean, my other business partner that, actually, that's not true. I have several amazing people in my life that have my back. Like, my, my Holly Shorts team, Daniel Sure. Sir. Nicole Castro, they have your back like crazy. But I always thought of like the marketing publicity job and now producing as the day-to-day. That's not cool. Even Steven was like, well, you have this amazing festival. It's a part of the, it's the body of the work. 
altogether. He just yeah. turned the lights on a little bit better. <clears throat> and he's got, you know, this is an executive who, you know, produced with Roger Ginver Smith, you know, we, Roger has 13 films with Spike more than any other actor. Mr. Adams is the reason why I was introduced to Spike. Yeah, I was going to ask you about how the Spike Lee connection made. Last. And yeah, it all came through. That all came through Steve. So, yeah. so what was your what was your first interaction with Spike Lee like? Like, what what, what is he? What is he like? Is he was he totally laid back, or was he? Did he ask you any tough questions? How was he? Of course. I mean, he's changed my life. I mean, this is listen. I I had done this before, you know, working with amazing creators. I mean, I also worked with Adi Hasak. He's a creator of Shades of Blues, an amazing showrunner. We do all of his marketing, all of his publicity. Um, we've got Yes Studios, which is a, a, a powerhouse Israeli company that created the show Fauda. Um, so we've done it before. You know what I'm saying? We've right. worked with amazing people, but this gentleman is incredible because it's not, he practices what he preaches. You understand? Mm. From the beginning, right, of his career, he never looked back. Um, our chance to work together was Rodney King, Rodney King piece. Um, Roger Smith, Bessie Award winning um, uh, one man show. Spike directed the one man play. Steven Adams produced it. They, um, we were representing Roger at the time, and this was a collaboration. It was around the 30th anniversary of Rodney King. Yep. Right? And we were dropping this on Netflix. It was a Netflix original. And we had one window to do some promotion. And Mr. Lee had heard about the noise that we were making about the project. I already blowing it up. If I'm yeah. involved with something, we're going all the way. So we took it all the way and it was making noise. And I think his students, he's a tenured professor at NYU, told him maybe you should do some press on this. Long story short, we had a window and we did the press. And I already know, listen, we work with major um, um, executives and filmmakers. So I know you have one shot. Yep. We did the job and then we ended up going to the south of France, right? Um, at the Cannes Film Festival um, to promote Rodney King. And we did, we did a big event. I mean, you know, uh, black faces, black voices, and we just, we turned it up. We had yeah. to pop in that year, right? And people were like, we need this here. <clears throat> and then so, you know, he, he tapped us to, to help him with She's Gotta Have It um, uh, on Netflix to bring that back, season one, and we did season one, season two, and then jumped to Black Klansman. But this is a gentleman who- yeah, I By the way, Black Klansman, as I told you, is my, I think between Black Klansman and Malcolm X, but- Black Klansman was, and it's funny because I, I didn't even think about this till I just said it, but yeah. Malcolm X is uh, Denzel Washington and Black Klansman is the son. I didn't even put the connection until I just said it. But they, uh, they, they are both just, they did such a good job. And, and you know, what's interesting about Spike Lee's movie, just take, let's take Black, you know, Black Klansman, which was made a couple of years ago. That movie uh, could be written right now today applying to what's going on right now yeah. at this tur at this current time that's how you know it's good art it applies almost almost at any time and you can find the message in it is there do you have a favorite spike lee movie is it i'm sure it's one you worked on my favorite um listen to so many man do the right thing crooklyn i mean there's just love it doesn't have to be the favorite that's the thing right there's um okay tell me give, give me give me some of your Preferred like of, 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 of course we just reached the the, the five bloods we got to talk about that and I want to get you know because I, I think the I think the Klansman was was the, the message was pretty easy to to get to the message was like you know we we gotta we gotta resolve this hate or it's gonna destroy America and like I said that movie was based on what the seventies and yeah no it's exceptional yeah I mean exactly and the fact that you know that that applied obviously right when it was written in the time when we had the present occupant of the White House. 
yeah. now looking at what's going on with George Floyd and the and the police brutality. It's and it's, he didn't know. He didn't know there was. He a didn't know, but you know that's what. Hey, the artist. He's got that third eye. And they shot what, that right after the Oscars. The day after, yeah. the Oscars, he went to Thailand, shot that for three months, and then there you go. The rest is history. Yeah, it's been an amazing what do you want blessing, man. Amazing blessing, and um, it gives me a lot of uh, you know. So it's, it's an emotional um connection as well. I mean, I lost my mother like you know. I think right after um the Cannes Film Festival, actually after dropping Black Klansman. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. You know Sorry. I mean? It was a no, we were just launching it at the time. And it's just, it's amazing. I'm so grateful and thankful to work with, with him and, and Netflix and, and people like that. It, 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 it's amazing. Listen, you think you've done everything. Um, and then you meet uh, uh, some people and, and they change your perspective of everything. And this, this is, this is a team that really him and his team, they do, they practice, they do it, they do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and so if I see somebody doing that, I have to, uh, if I, ha I adapt some of the DNA, I have no choice. Right. You understand? This is someone who um, will be working with uh, uh, talent. And I mean, if there's no people that look like us, he will demand that change. Right? Yeah. He'll I mean, that, and that's because he practices what he preaches, bro. which is what, is what I respect too. Are you kidding me? And then, uh, yeah, and then even and, just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's contagious. Yeah. It's contagious. What do you think? I'm looking at the current. Uh, I'm thinking about Spike Lee's movies, and I and I think he's. If I had to summarize what they stand for as a whole, is that they try to make America see the reflection of herself, and make sure that it's living up to what she thinks she will she will see in the mirror. And it's the two don't usually connect. Mm -hmm. uh, so I say that with the Five Bloods. I remember the I remember the one. Spoiler alert! If you guys go see it, but I think one of the central messages there was about the fact that you know America has black men fighting all these wars, telling people we're 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 fighting for freedom. We come back here, and we don't we don't even enjoy the same level of freedom uh, that we say that America's about. But we're telling we're telling black and black and black and black men to go over there and fight foreign country because this is what we believe. But we don't follow through with what we believe, and America doesn't like that look in the mirror. I think part of why the George Floyd um, it's not just George Floyd, but the, I would say he was the spark of the collective grievance of all the issues with police brutality, with the uh, criminal justice system, and the, the the response, the sparks, the protests, the demonstrations, and some even outright just you know riots was it was a response uh, to wanting that freedom, and and I think what really made America, uh, I think. Uh, what, what, what really got America's attention was that this was everywhere and all across the world, people were protesting for America to be American. <laughs> so, and I, and I, and I just think Spike Lee's and it's why our, uh, content is so important. It's why art is so important to us. So sorry, I had to say that. No doubt. Full circle. I mean, they're making, they're making people think that we don't care about the flag. Are you out of your mind? You know, no, we, we want the flag to be substance. We, we believe in the flag. We want the flag we want the flag to follow through. It's painful, man. Yeah, I mean, protest, protest is the most American thing you can do. <clears throat> Absolutely. So what do you see as opportunity in this environment as we talk about, uh, this is currently a, uh, I think, unique environment, at least I'm gonna say, I've been through Rodney King, I've been through protest, I've been through riots in my city, I've seen this happen several times over. I don't remember a moment, at least within my lifetime, where it seemed as if the world stopped collectively uh, to acknowledge uh, the 
inequities that uh, black people are going through in this country. And, and you've seen it all across the board. You've seen tech companies come out, talk about it. You've seen, you've seen people that you would never have thought say Black Lives Matter. I saw Mitt Romney in a protest and say Black Lives Matter. Like, if you would have told me that four years ago that Mitt Romney was going to participate in the Black Lives Matter protest and say Black Lives Matter, I would have said you're, you're smoking something. But the fact is, this, this I feel is different. different. What do you feel about this moment? And then in particular, what do you think Hollywood needs to do? That's, that's one question. And then what do you see as the opportunity for uh, uh, black entrepreneurs in this environment? Two, two, two kind of questions that are kind yeah. of loaded. No, I agree with you. Um, it's different. Why is it different? Look at the faces um, that are protesting. That's change that helps. I'll take anything. I'll take yep. anything. I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say, but we've seen it, right? You've seen things that happen like flavor of the month. You hope it sustains. Um, yeah. What can Hollywood do? Just more of us. Yeah, more well, I agree. Us, right? More of us, more. More, more equity. People, more equity, more people, more opportunity. Um, you know. And it's good business. I tell folks, you don't have to do this for, it is the right thing to do. Yeah. But from a business economic point of view, it's the profitable thing to do. No question. No question. And then on the executive side, think about it, right? Like, that's all nice. We're going to change. We're going to take blackface out. That's cool. What about the executives? Yeah, that, that's like the minimum. Like, you, we're, we're going to say we're going to stop insulting you. How about you give some equity? Like, yes, I'm glad you said Black Lives Matter. That's like the bottom of the floor, the minimum of what we can uh, expect. We, we should expect that, but we, we need equity. It needs to be real. <laughs> Yeah, no, there was a story the other day about scary, man. Even these writers' rooms of these big shows, these big streaming shows, these big broadcast shows, writers' room, if you look at some of the writers' rooms, we're not represented. And then it's just one person. It's like, oh, this is the, this, I got my token. Yeah, it's always one. Like, yes. And we might graduate from this movement to two black people. It's like, all right, now we've moved to the point where we can have two in a room. All right. Insane. So CEOs, executives, that's got to change. And then um, the funds, you know? Um, we need, we need some investment. I agree. Some I agree. Things. Serious, serious capital. And remind me, I'm going to talk to you about some stuff I'm doing on that too. So, uh, let's go to our lightning round. Do you, you have an important truth that few people agree with you on? It's a tough question people? on purpose. Mm, um, man. Woo, that's a tough one. Yeah. Man, wow, I can't even. <laughs> uh, truth to myself? Whatever your truth is. And, and some people might think, man, that's freaking crazy. Yeah, no, man, no. It's just, I. All right, I'll, I'll let you pass. No, there's, there's no middle round, man. There's no. All right, all right, all right. It's, it's, How about this? Everything. This, there's, there's no middle. We, all right. We all. There's no middle. It's all. There's no middle. We want the whole thing. We play for championships. This is how I, I approach everything. We want awards. We want. Um, we want the big, we want the money. We want it all. We don't, there's no consolation prize. Hey, I agree with that. All right. If you have a committee of three, uh, they can be living, they can be dead to advise you on business or life. Tell me who those three individuals would be and why. Business and life. Committee or life and or you can choose and. One for life, one for business, one yeah, for... You know, I always looked up to this guy, man, that, that first guy that sold that $5 billion company. always looked up to him, Harry Sloan. I don't know why. He was just... He, he reminded me of my father, believe it or not. So, uh, so he'd be one for sure. Um, 
who else uh living or or dead yeah um um yeah definitely bob bob marley for sure um and then um and why yeah why yeah yeah i mean you know i mean you've seen so so for bob it's you know the 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 music um can uplift people even peaceful music can make people can make you know um i can relate very closely to his his music um and then my kid my youngest kid your youngest kid okay yeah that sounds crazy but it was just recently she's been dropping gems on me that don't make any sense for a six-year-old to say and i feel like it's otherworldly and from a different presence um no it doesn't make sense yeah it's crazy man like the other day i was having a tough time and she's like man i was just thinking about the past and you know family we're getting older she's just like she told me this she's like don't dwell on the past how old is she six years old this is the present like yoda you need to think about the present and the future she told me that and i'm like are you serious right now (laughs) so yeah it's probably harry that's a crazy combination though yeah, those three. Yeah, yeah. Lately, oh. Bob's gotten me through this COVID, too. That's awesome. <laughs> um, all right, final question. You have a Google ad or a billboard that symbolizes your belief. It's a, it can be a saying. What would that say and why? Man, God's plan. God's plan. Seriously, I'm sorry to say. It sounds cliche, but... No, if it's I mean, your saying, it's, it's, not, it's not cliche. The things that I've seen and the, the, the people I've been around and, you know, to think, you know, what if we never moved out of Haiti? You know, how would that life would have been like? You know what I mean? Who knows? I mean, it's, this is you follow the plan, you know? You can't go against it. Sometimes I try to go against the, the, the wave and then when you just slow down... Um, you know, it, it could be rough waters, but eventually things get better, you know? And so I just follow God's plan. That's it. Yeah, sometimes life only makes sense looking backwards. Theo Dumont, I appreciate having you on the show. It'd be great to have you on the Disruption Now Summit, and uh, we'll talk more, brother. 